overwhelmed, it's because I'm overworked and I'm tired and yeah. I'm exhausted. And I have seven different things going on in my head to keep track of. So yeah, I fucking forgot to put it in the dryer. That's why mm -hmm. I forgot. Not because I'm a fucking baby, because like <laughs> I have to do, I have to pay 7,000 bills. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, like are yeah. people just overworked and overwhelmed constantly? Welcome to Disorderland, where all your interpersonal problems are actually caused by a brain disorder. I'm Jesse Meadows. And I'm Aisha Khan. And today we're talking about divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Does ADHD cause divorce? Should we be pathologizing our partners to save our relationships? Should we be diagnosing our partners whenever they act in ways that are not perfectly palatable to our needs? Before we get into it, if you are not subscribed to our Substack, the link is in the show notes and you will find visuals and links to the stuff we're talking about and extra readings embedded under this episode. We also send out newsletters and discussion threads between episodes, so do subscribe so you don't miss any of that. Okay. There is this trend, like just in general, not specifically about ADHD, but there's a lot of like pathology, psychology words flying around to refer to relationship problems. Like everybody wants to talk about narcissists and empaths and... Everybody basically has a personality disorder if they, <laughs> if they yeah. don't fit some sort of relationship norm, I guess. It really reflects on all of the problems with relationships that are direct result of like colonial capitalist norms mm -hmm. and like abuse and like hierarchies and possession and ownership and control and all of that are real problems. And then mm -hmm. making that about individual brain disorders. Yeah. And I, I do want to like preface this conversation with the fact that we both have been diagnosed with ADHD because a lot of people will come at us and say, like, you don't understand what you're talking about. Like, you don't know what it's like. And I feel like we talk about ADHD, like, in particular so much because we do understand. And <laughs> we have problems with the way that our lives have been pathologized. And I don't think that is ableist, as people like to accuse us of. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's ableist now when disabled people push back against the DSM. <laughs> For some reason, uh -huh. I don't know. And I mean, I guess it shows a lot about how capitalism does a really good job of eventually convincing people that it's selling you solutions to the problems it created in the first place. And then when we forget like why we're doing all of this in the first place and just get caught up in the words and focus mm -hmm. on that way more than thinking about what does this actually look like in practice, right? Like for example, when people get caught up in being anti-racist and intersectionality and all, but then we'll go back to reifying bioessentialism and forget mm -hmm. that race at the end of the day is a made up biological concept. It is not a real concept, but mm -hmm. our lives have been shaped by it because race as a concept was created to justify racism. But then if you just like forget that aspect, that that is not actually real. It shapes yeah. so much of how people think that some people are just incapable of change because they're just born that way or whatever. Yeah, and there's a lot of those kinds of themes in this conversation because we're going to talk about this New York Times article about ADHD and how it affects relationships. But I think like one of the biggest themes is that like when you have ADHD or like any other 
DSM diagnosis. There's like behaviors that you can't control and it really takes people's agency away by bioessentializing their mm-hmm. behaviors and saying like, oh, they just, they can't control that. It's ADHD. Like, you know, you just have to treat the ADHD and that's your only option for like solving your relationship problems. This article specifically, I think, really obscures like the institution of marriage and all these norms and like social expectations that we have. So it was from February of this year. It's called ADHD Constrain Relationships. So not even how, just it, it will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the like subheading is the symptoms of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder can push couples to their breaking point. But mm. there is hope for those willing to seek help. Oh my God. So already like framing this as uh-huh. like. A disease right away. Yeah. This idea that ADHD causes divorce is not really new. There were advertisements for Adderall from Shire in the early 2000s that said adults with ADHD were nearly two times more likely to have been divorced. Just like any other adult. <laughs> Just like adults in general. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isn't it like 50% or something? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then the bottom of this ad says, the consequences may be serious. Screen for ADHD. So it's really the same setup. But now it's like with the, I think now what's what's interesting, it's a little bit different because I think they have realized that individualism now, you can't just put a gun to people's head and tell them what to do. There mm-hmm. is a benefit with making them feel like they're free and telling them like you're doing great like you're mm-hmm. not oppressed like look at you 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 successful little one <laughs> you and all your skills you're so much better than all those other fuckers that are not able to climb the ladder like look at you so the same mm-hmm. thing that narrative of like positivity masks how it is now where like you can't just tell someone hey something's wrong with you like you need to go get help and then you know enter the co-optation of like things like neurodiversity or whatever where now it's like oh you know Like, it's not a disorder. We're just different. Some people are just born with different brains. And then there's all this like positive language around it where it's like, we have all these superpowers and all this other stuff. But then it can actually be, on the other hand, used to justify toxicity and shitty Mm -hmm. behavior where it's just Mm -hmm. like, now you've made it a thing where it's like, this is a huge part of my identity. This is who I am. I am super empowered about it. And I am better than certain other people that either don't have this particular identity or don't have any kind of like neurodivergent label on them. And it's like all of a sudden now you've just like recreated this whole industry that's harping on people's egos. So this article starts out with this story about a couple (laughs) and it says, quote, when Chris Lawson began dating Alexandra Salamis, the woman who would eventually become his partner. He was Mr. Super Attentive Dude, he said, the type of guy who enjoyed buying cards and flowers for no reason other than to show how much he loved her. But after they moved in together in 2015, things changed, end quote. (laughs) Yeah, very (laughs) dramatic. But I really think this is not weird. Like, that's just like uh, the progression of a relationship. (laughs) 
yeah it's actually called new relationship excitement in like polyamorous circles Mm -hmm. and it's like a really common (laughs) concept but i think a lot of times it's presented as like oh there's something wrong if that excitement wears off yeah and i mean if you think about that outside the context of a relationship i don't know when you get a plant for the first time right or when you plant seed and like it sprouts for the first time you see that and you're like there's something it's like cool like wow Mm -hmm. this is amazing (laughs) i made the thing i did the thing you know and then you like you take care you take care of it for a while maybe you you try a couple of other things and life happens and then eventually you're just it's a part of your life like you're still mm-hmm. caring for it you're still tending to it you're still learning about it you're still growing from it but you might not get that initial oh my god what is this <laughs> because there's a time and yeah. place for that like novelty has a time and place like and you can still do that in different ways where you might think about like oh what if I add this other different type of like plant into this dynamic and see how they interact together. Like that might be fun, right? Like, okay, so Mm -hmm. you can make it novel, but that same initial, like for the first time, you're just being introduced to this concept doesn't need to be there for it to be a good thing. Like that's what stability and safety feels like. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like if you spend that first initial period of the relationship, like actually connecting and like learning about this person, then when that excitement wears off, you're left with a long-term commitment and like a deep kind of devotion and also people grow literally (laughs) hopefully people understand that like people are not stagnant just like anything in nature nothing is stagnant like you are evolving Mm -hmm. and you are growing constantly and changing and adapting to your surroundings and vice versa which means Mm -hmm. that even if you are i don't know don't people get this and this is actually very telling that people maybe understand this better in friendships but romantic yeah. dynamics are something very interesting about how all of this is fun, right? Which tells you that this is really about relationship hierarchies, which is what like mm-hmm. capitalism and colonialism build up, where romantic dynamics are like this cherry on top of the pyramid and mm-hmm. all other types of relationships or biological family, right? Like specifically like parents, biological relatedness. And then everything else is relegated to the bottom, which is not, it's not as important as your one true soulmate or, yeah. you know, as like this, like no matter what, And how your parents treat you like blood is thicker than, I don't know, like whatever else, right? Water? (laughs) Water? But I'm like, I don't even, yeah, sure. I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, that says a lot about like in friendships, people understand that there was an excitement to meeting, getting to know someone for the first time. It was really cool to be like, wow, like I can be myself around this person. This is really nice. And that's not even taken for granted. You have to practice being in friendships every day. You have to actually try to be authentic. You have to actually work through conflict. You have to actually communicate what your needs and expectations are and kind of adapt to each other and learn about each other. And at some point, you will not have that excitement as you did the first time you met someone because that's just life. Mm -hmm. But friendships go on for like decades without that kind Mm -hmm. of... And people kind of get that more than they get romantic dynamics where that quote unquote excitement has worn off. Yeah, the spark is gone. Mm -hmm. But that's all just like a fantasy. And Mm -hmm. it's really unrealistic. And it sets people up for these expectations that like, I think, disappoint them. Yeah, just damaging expectations, even in like families, right? Like glamorizing and glorifying and like building this fantasy of a perfect household, right? Mm -hmm. Not realizing that like everything from the model of a nuclear family to families and the roles that parents play in a capitalist colonial society, if they're not consciously like interrogating what they're doing to their children, like it becomes, it's just another way for the state to like control how you're socialized. Right. And they're, they just play another role of being cops sometimes. And it's just like glorifying what the perfect ideal family dynamic is. 
either leads to people thinking that they should have that. So overlooking like serious issues in family dynamics that, you know, if you address, you would understand a lot about how oppression shapes us, right? Like it's not an individual thing. It's a systemic thing, but -hmm. also then gets people to try to recreate that, right? Like the reason that people on social media post all these pictures, picture perfect pictures of their families Mm-hmm. And people think that that's real, right? That there's no conflict. There's no hardship. Like there's nothing to work towards. Like there aren't families that fall apart and it's totally fine because that's just the way it was supposed to go, right? There's nothing wrong with like a relationship not being there anymore. So mm-hmm. it's just interesting how like all of it prevents us from actually understanding the complexity of relationships in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think this article really obscures a lot of different things because they go on to talk about how this guy became more forgetful. He stopped doing chores. His wife started to resent him for it. And then like four years later, they stumble across an article about ADHD and they have this like aha moment where they're like, it says, quote, the couple had discovered something millions of others have realized often after years of conflict. One of them most likely had ADHD, a neurodevelopmental disorder, end quote. So it's like the expectation is that you don't have conflict in your relationships. And like if you do, it's because you have a disorder or one person has a disorder and everything is their fault Mm -hmm. and they need to treat themselves for the sake of their relationship. It's just like it's the most individualistic. Yeah. This lens of like you have to set it goes back to self-help and self-care and all of like that culture of just focusing on yourself. And Mm -hmm. being like, everyone else has to just adapt to my needs and wants. And if they don't fit my life, I'm just going to cut them out. (laughs) You know, I am just inherently better than everyone else. I'm the most important person in my life. (laughs) Like, how are you going to build any framework of like community if you're not actually willing to learn about people, adapt to them, work together to create something that works for both of you? And mm-hmm. also, like, you're not stagnant in that process. You learn more about yourself. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't know what my fucking needs were <laughs> until mm-hmm. I was in a relationship where for the first time, someone was actually like truly asking me, like, just being like, hey, like, just how do you like to, you know, be appreciated and loved? And I was like, I don't know. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. No one's ever asked me that. But that's the foundation of an equitable dynamic. Yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot of this is just like, just because you haven't done it, doesn't mean it's not the way, like, it's just the way it's supposed to be because that's the byproduct of being socialized in a capitalist colonial system. Like, we've Mm -hmm. never had agency our whole life. So all of a sudden, our relationships end up being the one place where you do sometimes realize, like, hey, this is the part of my life that I can try to live, like, values of liberation without the state enforcing everything, right? But you, if you've never had agency, if you've never intentionally created choices, if you've never Mm -hmm. worked with someone, without any expectations and any norms where you're just like starting from scratch. You're like, let's see what works for us. How do you know just how to do it? You don't. You just like, you have to practice. You you just have to work it out. Yeah. So in some ways it is easier to just like offload all of that Mm -hmm. to like this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So like my partner also has been diagnosed with ADHD. We are an ADHD (laughs) for ADHD relationship. (laughs) And like we haven't had to do that in our relationship And we still have found ways to be like, okay, this is who I am and how I deal with things. And these are the things I struggle with. And like, we just talk it through and (laughs) laugh about it. You're saying you don't reduce everything to a diagnosis or a category or a box and you just actually talk about the thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I just don't think it's necessary. Like you can still be aware of the ways that you struggle and like your distress and your needs and all of that without just like lumping it all together under ADHD and then saying like, I have absolutely no control because like I am a very forgetful person and I forget a lot of things that like do affect our relationship. But like, I also know that I can find ways to remember certain things. And then when I do inevitably fuck up, like my partner graciously forgives me and Mm -hmm. we like move on and we try again, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Me and my partner have a slew of diagnoses between us, (laughs) like a bucket full but we don't need to like talk about diagnoses. Yeah, we I think now we have relationship dynamic, which is neither of us like feels the need to use those labels to describe our experiences when we just talk about them. <laughs> we just like spell yeah. it out. For example, I fall under the realm of uh, what is called hyperactivity. I won't even mm-hmm. say the D word. The D word is disorder in this place. The D- <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but I am, I, I, yes, that is, and it's, I will maybe even conceptualize that more as a trauma response, like just always being overstimulated and overactivated. And that feels more like home to me than anything else because of the life mm-hmm. I've had. And my partner is the opposite. I guess they would fall under the like, not no age <laughs> in a, in attention. Yes. Side? Yeah. Yeah. Or... No age, <laughs> oh, no, no hyperactivity. Age. Yeah. Yeah. The other end. And in general, what that means like is I'm going at a million miles per hour and I can overwhelm my partner too. <laughs> and mm-hmm. instead of just being like, you're being ADHD to me, uh, my yeah. partner will just be like, listen, um, I've had a long day. I've had to process a lot of information and I'm hitting my capacity. I'm getting close to it. <laughs> And I want to make space for you. I want to be able to hold, do all this. I just cannot do it right now. So can we please try again tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And that's fine. And I realize that is a tendency that I have. And therefore, there is no reason I need to steamroll my fucking partner at that point and just say, Mm -hmm. you know what? I am just ADHD or whatever the fuck. And I do. I will just dismiss your needs and I will just, you know, I, I can't help but constantly ramble on. (laughs) <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> so I will <laughs> regulate myself or find another friend to talk to. Right. I don't mm-hmm. have to load it all on my one on my one soulmate, quote unquote. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's that's why we have relationship anarchy. There's a plethora of options you have for finding ways to exist in community that are not draining your partner <laughs> or partners. Mm-hmm. So we just do that. And then the next day, look at that. Like they have more capacity. It's amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a lot of the problems that are identified in this article have to do with just the way that couples are these like just little insular bubbles and they like don't have anyone else that they can go to or like lean on. There's no like community support for things like chores and, you know, responsibilities. Which no one should have to do. Like people don't even think about that. the fact that like you wake up, you do the same thing every day. You like, you just have to work, 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 mm-hmm. work. And you have just enough energy, maybe at the end of the day to like take a shower, do some basic chores, pass out, wake up, do the same thing all over again. That is not supposed to be what our lives are look like. We're not supposed to live within like cement boxes without seeing anyone for extended periods of time. Like I'm not supposed to have this much stuff <laughs> to myself. Yeah. 
Like we're supposed so to live stuff. communally. We're supposed to share. We're supposed to cook together. We're supposed to build houses together. We're supposed to farm together. We're supposed to do everything mm-hmm. together. And if you think of like how you would be in that world, if I just lost something, I wouldn't have a meltdown like I do now. The reason I yeah. have that is not because of my ADHD. It's because I live under capitalism and it's mm-hmm. terrifying to lose my phone where my entire life I have to earn the right to live. So now I most of my like income already goes to my rent. How the fuck am I going to afford a new phone? That is why you freak out. That is why I'm always anxious about losing shit because I have so much shit to lose. It's (laughs) too much shit. And like a lot of the problems that are described in these kinds of articles is basically just about like managing all your shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But nobody's asking like why, like maybe the problem is, is that we have so much shit. Like laundry or, or like chores, right? Like people I've, We'll go through some TikToks on this episode, but a lot of them are about this like exasperation couples have of one person not doing all this chores or one person being dirty. I mean, that is, I don't even know what that means when you take away like all these subjective assessments. But I, for example, like I hate cleaning. I hate like all of that stuff. I cannot do it. I cannot stand it. My partner like finds that very meditative and Mm -hmm. gets a personal joy out of like literally like creating order in interesting ways that I need to live by. I just can't, I don't like to do it. (laughs) But what I do like to do is I like to make chaos happen in nice ways. (laughs) Like I cook interesting things. I plan stuff for us. I like bring the excitement and the spontaneity into our dynamic, right? And my partner needs that, but would be very anxious if it's up to them to do all that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, you just realize, wait, if I lived in a commune, I would just have people that really do get a personal joy out of like cooking for someone or like on all these things, right. That we do, Mm -hmm. like, I have no problem, for example, doing the work that we do for people, right. Mm -hmm. Like we do it, like really all of it is unpaid time, labor and energy, right. Mm -hmm. And living on a hypothetical, nice commune, we would do the same thing, right. All we expect is like to, to have some basic needs met so we can survive. So Mm -hmm. other people can help us do shit that we just can't do because you can't do everything. You just can't. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's individualism. It goes back to making you feel like you are incapable if you yeah. cannot master absolutely everything. So at close, what neoliberalism does is get people to believe that, oh, not only can you have a job and family, you can do it all. You can have a bunch of fucking kids and take care of them and do all these chores and then go to work and like have some like upper management job and kill it and make six dollars. What the fuck? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no, I cannot. I, I must not. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do all that. No one should do all that, right? Yeah. Like if our needs were met, then we would just choose something that we really care about, that we get a joy out of, that's our place in our little community, right? And then we just do that. Like mm-hmm. I would not be doing all I'm not, like we already don't, right? You go to someone to someone makes your clothes. <laughs> you don't know the people that make your clothes. You don't know the people that make your food. That's a problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is the problem. The separation from that, from the people that actually do that. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have enough money, you can relegate your laundry to someone else. You can relegate the cleaning to someone else. Right. People with money get domestic workers to come like pink collar workers to come clean their houses. People have maids that live with them that take care of their children. So someone with enough money can actually get all this shit done without it being a problem. Right. So that yeah. tells you that this is a capitalist problem, not something about how fucked up and diseased someone is that makes them overwhelmed to handle these chores. <laughs> I actually found an article in Attitude 
that basically said that it was like some woman describing how she is in a relationship and they both have ADHD and they're really messy. And then the end of it was like, but if you have money, then it's not a problem anymore. (laughs) It's just like, what? And they said it like totally like uncritically, unironically, just like not thinking about what the fuck that means. Mm. (laughs) People talk about that without even expecting like there's all these medications and apps and we've had whole episodes on this, right? The industry around mental health and how, hey, you can solve all your problems if you just buy these apps and regulate yourself. And if you just take Mm -hmm. all these medications that make you focus at work, what do you, what? (laughs) Who do you think can even begin to get those things? And then why do they even have to get those things? What is this all for to get you back to work? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, what is this all for to begin with? It's like, why are you complaining about chores, right? Because you want enough Mm -hmm. time to maximize your like productivity so you can make more money. And God damn it, my partner just doesn't do enough laundry. Like, (laughs) I'm just wondering if these couples are questioning the entire premise of what we're supposed to do, right? (laughs) I mean, I don't, I don't think they are. So there's this line in the article that says, quote, if a couple makes a strong effort to learn more about the disorder, manage its symptoms and find more effective ways to communicate, they can revitalize their relationship. Mm. And I just feel like you could replace (laughs) disorder with a strong effort to learn more about each other. Have you talked to each other? (laughs) Have you considered talking? (laughs) That's true for every human relationship. Everything else too. Like if you think about like literally a relationship with our land, which is like the reason for why everything is everything, right? Like the way colonialism separates people from their land. And literally you don't have relationships with the rest of like nature that you're a part of. And a way to reconnect is literally to just understand, like understand communities, understand people around you, understand like the native plants that grow in your region, just understand and learn more about them. And that's the process of relationship Mm -hmm. building in general, just learning, right? Mm-hmm. And being like, oh, this is cool. I had no idea. Like this informs me in this way, right? Mm-hmm. It's like amazing that that would be <laughs> the same thing that you would have to do in a romantic dynamic. Because it's like, do people ever think that the things that have worked for them in friendships may just work for them in relationships that are romantic too? Like, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't even say romantic, like, because because I don't know, you could have like non-sexual intimacy, like, right? Like, so it's like sexual dynamics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you ever considered that if you were just friends, like with the person yeah. that you're like genuinely cared about them as another human being and saw that like y'all are different, but you can work together to make this thing happen. <laughs> that's it. Like that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Like I can't really give relationship advice because literally all of my answers are just like, well, have you asked them? <laughs> have you talked to them about it? <laughs> well, that, but that's it. Right. And like, it's interesting. Cause I do like even in my one-on-one ch- sessions with people, like when we're working on relationship stuff, Almost all the time, that's what I'm asking. And it is the solution where I'm like, insert problem here, where the problem stems from assumptions made, right? About like how people think, how they should respond to set people's expectations and all of that, right? Where it's literally sometimes the solution's like, have y'all just sat down and talked about it? Like you actually say transparently, honestly, everything that you're experiencing, but without projecting anything onto this other person and just ask them, like, yeah. how does this feel for you? Like, how are things going for you? What mm-hmm. kind of help do you need? Right. Instead of just just yeah. doing things that they don't like, need. Why? Sometimes. Why are you doing this? You know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think attributing everything to a diagnosis can also like preclude you from learning about why people do things or like digging into the deeper <laughs> reasons for stuff. It's just like if you chalk it up to the Boom. like ADHD 
then you don't figure out the whys in the house. And in one sentence, I think Jess has dismantled exactly why <laughs> all of my work focuses on dismantling like labels and like the neurodivergent neurotypical binary or, or anything related to just like fixation on identities. Because yeah, like what does it mean? What does yeah. that mean? Is like at the end of the day, that's what I found myself asking. What does it mean? Like, what yeah. does it mean when I'm talking to a human being? If in my head, I'm making all these made up calculations about trying to figure out which category they're forced into, right? Mm -hmm. Without ever getting to know this person. And now you find people just saying, oh, someone that goes to work and comes back from work is neurotypical. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, so many people just have to do that and don't even have the luxury of like working from home sometimes or like doing things that are adaptable for them, right? Like they can't. So mm -hmm. they just maybe tell themselves that this is the life that they have, right? They just go to work, do whatever they can, put food on the table, crash, wake up, start over again. Mm -hmm. They're not, what does it mean to be neurotypical, right? Like it's not, have you asked them what their, how their life's like, like what their problems are, like what they're going through? Mm -hmm. Like you'd be surprised. I probably y'all are experiencing the same struggles. You just have different reasons for why you've responded to things differently. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, there are different, like some, some people are more sensitive and more like struggle more with certain things in everyday life but like I think yeah those words get really essentialized to where it's just like you have a neurotypical brain or whatever I think people have different like traits and levels oh, of yeah. sensitivity yeah yeah and like I am really hurt by like super fucking bright lights but some mm -hmm. people can go work in like fluorescent mm -hmm. offices mm -hmm. or whatever but that like doesn't mean that they're okay with every other there we go you know yeah. that they're not like struggling exactly like, I think there are differences obviously in people, but like the problem is when we like essentialize so much that we stop seeing other people as fully complicated humans and we just see the label. The problem is reducing people's complexities and differences and all of these million like nuances to a box or to a category and then just making assumptions based on said category and then stereotyping mm -hmm. people and then making assumptions about how they would respond to things how you would, you should interact with them. And then it's just like, all of this goes into made up norms and you haven't even just had a conversation by just like asking them like, hey, what's up? Like, how can I show up for you? I mean, I do think I'm not like totally ready to just throw words like neurotypical and neurodivergent like completely away because I think they can be useful in some ways, but the, there's a limit, you know? Like it can be useful in finding people who you can relate to in certain ways. Yeah. Or it can be like an open using it, it can be a as gate, like, like a, foot in the door type thing. Yeah. Or using it as like a shorthand when you're trying to talk about mm -hmm. something. Or, you know, I use the word neurotypical in like a political sense. It's not a biological Yeah, thing but you're like, not saying that there's a typical brain. You're saying that yeah, there's it's the it's there the are idea standards. of conforming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's mm -hmm. like not what it's, you know, what it normally used, right? Yeah. Like mainstream lingo literally makes it seem like there are certain people with a type of a typical brain that are just built that way and mm -hmm. then can never change, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can't change because you're different. And yeah. it's like, all it does is break solidarity, basically, at the end of the day, mm -hmm. where it's just like preventing us from realizing like, one, that differences are important <laughs> and mm -hmm. those nuances like will never be reduced to category, right? Like it's just cool to have them and like nurture them and cultivate them and mm -hmm. create a world that accommodates them as opposed to just being like, oh, let's just shove everybody into like 70 boxes and see where they fall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like vague terms. I like to stay vague. 
because then it's yeah, like yeah because it room, people allows can't room assume. For, exactly so like and now then, i think i use divergent <laughs> which i'm just like cool different mm-hmm. anyone can be if they want to be yes <laughs> which mm-hmm. I strongly believe in, right? Like, it's like, if you realize, and and it's all fluid and flexible and like, mm-hmm. it's just on your level and you can get to different, uh, like, realizations at different points in your life, like, whatever, whatever it is, right? Yeah, even like disability, I think people look at disability as like a static category a lot and it's mm-hmm. a really like super fluid thing. Like, people mm-hmm. become disabled, mm-hmm. like, throughout their lives and like, I don't know. The boxes are, are squishy mm-hmm. and always changing (laughs) they're melty boxes is that a box then (laughs) (laughs) it's more like a goo i guess okay (laughs) yeah but not a box anymore (laughs) it's a box if a box was like a goo that became an ocean Uh that we all swim in okay thank you for coming to my ted talk (laughs) (laughs) i like the ocean yeah i always like to think of like uh, ecosystems that are complex which is literally who we are but like whatever yeah. like for some reason people think we're different i don't know like mm-hmm. i to look outside your window bro like do you think they fall into boxes no they don't yeah. <laughs> they just out here being like one million types of short pea plant like i don't know like, <laughs> they're just they're complex <laughs> so there was one other like major theme in this article that i wanted to talk about and i have some tiktoks for us to watch about it but Basically, we kind of touched on it already, but this like way that bioessentialism denies people agency and then it becomes this like really infantilizing Mm -hmm. thing, which is something I've noticed. There's this trope that I see. There's I think it's a hashtag on TikTok. Mm. My ADHD wife. (laughs) It's so fucking sexist and weird to me. People like love these videos where it's just like a guy who's like, isn't my ADHD wife so quirky and weird and silly and kind of like a giant baby (laughs) that I have to take care of? There's this account called ADHD Love. Their whole account is like the guy is the neurotypical and like she is the ADHD person. And they're like cute little skits or whatever about their relationship. And this one I think is like, I mean, it's probably the most common issue that comes up in my relationship but it's just so weird the way they like deal with it hmm bubby did you do a load of washing yesterday yes i wanted to help you out bubby that's really kind but the load's still in there from yesterday it's a bit wet and smelly now oh i'm so stupid i forgot it was i forgot the second bit you're not stupid bubby we'll do it together today what the fuck? It's the just like it makes fuck? me cringe. How what you treat her like a baby? Is that what the fuck was that? Like, and I cannot Ugh. believe they made that and they recorded it. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you trying to relay here? Is a thing. Like, and I haven't watched this before, so I'm just like truly fascinated. And it says a lot about how people treat children, even I think when we start thinking about how they like bring these power dynamics into relationships, right? Where they think it's a power dynamic where it's like, hey, let me tell you how to live your life. Um, You don't know how to do anything. (laughs) It's supposed to be cute, but it just comes off as like, he is No, it's not. It's disgusting. He is the... The caretaker. Yeah. And she is just like trying her best but she just is so the silly whole, quirky oh my like, god i just oh i'm so stupid i forgot to do the second <laughs> bit <laughs> like 
<laughs> like what like why are you talking like that do you like why do you like talking like that <laughs> this happens to me uh like every week probably me and my partner both do this we just kind of take turns with like forgetting to put our clothes in the dryer mm-hmm. <laughs> but like we don't treat each other like I, I don't know like we're like weird babies like we just laugh about it and then we like and doesn't it make fix way it? more sense that like so right now we have this running joke where <laughs> Like, my partner does all of the cleaning and laundry. So uh, right now, because they've been gone for a little bit, I have a very big pile of <laughs> waiting <laughs> waiting for them uh, because I have managed to be very intelligent about my clothing choices <laughs> and made it through somehow, besides, like, undergarments, not needing to do laundry, which is, which is just, it's going to be fun. Wow. I know, I know, but it's funny because like, I'm like, home. here's my yeah. laundry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a baby. I'm like, a take baby. my laundry and do all my laundry. Like, that's <laughs> the only way I want to get shit done. <laughs> but also, I mean, it says something about a really important point. The reason I haven't been able to do anything like that is not just do I think it's irrelevant. I'm fine picking up clothes off the fucking floor. I think it's okay, right? Like, I don't yeah. need, for example, even when I have a clean pile and dirty pile, right? Like, my clean pile is fine to me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I don't find the need to color coordinate it and organize it up there like seven different my partner gets joy out of doing that for me fine <laughs> I then find it really helpful to select cute outfits once it's organized mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time like when I'm overwhelmed it's because I'm overworked and I'm tired and yeah. I'm and I have seven different things going on in my head to keep track of so yeah I fucking forgot to put it in the dryer that's why mm-hmm. I forgot not because I'm a fucking baby because like <laughs> I have to do I have to pay 7,000 bills. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, like are yeah. people just overworked and overwhelmed constantly? Like, Well, and I think it's also, especially like framing it as like your ADHD wife, is you're specifically commenting on like women who do not live up to these expectations of like being organized and clean and like quiet and good, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you're like making it into a, like, that's like, where the humor is supposed to come from like oh look isn't this funny they're not being good wives it's like mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like it's like why can't you just instead of doing that why can't you just do your laundry for your partner because that's just what my partner does partner's like you're not gonna like figure out laundry so it's just not gonna be my thing like i'm gonna I'm well gonna and laundry. at the end he's like we'll do it together tomorrow it's like no what bro why, why don't, don't you just, just fucking, fucking do, it? do it yeah <laughs> Like, why do why like, do you need to handhold someone and have them wash them? Like, just fucking do it, bro. Like, or if you're helping them, don't act, don't patronize people. Like, don't so act like you're just like walking them through some like, like, oh, my God. There's also this video. Oh, my God. The same guy, this fucking guy, man. Babe, did you remember to use a tampon? Yes, I did. Yeah, but like a, a real tampon, not a rolled up bit of toilet roll real tampon well done mm. how does she <laughs> film these videos with him what the fuck i don't know what? i just can't i can't see this stuff as like cute because it's just so it's disgusting yeah it's just so patronizing but i mean I, they get traction right like this is a whole subset of uh, there's mm-hmm. another one that we talked about that we should have talked about him on adhd bros but we didn't um, his name, <laughs> I think his name's Colby, and he posts a lot of TikToks about his mom with ADHD. 
Yeah. And to me, they're very funny because all of them are like him talking about how frustrated he is that she doesn't vacuum properly and pick up all his clothes after him. He's like, oh, living with an ADHD mom. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, bitch, like, yeah. like, there's so many problems here that have nothing to do with that. <laughs> well, and then like he also makes videos about ADHD and women that are like similar. It's just like you're pathologizing mm-hmm. something that's actually just like sexist. There's, that's actually <laughs> just, just like sexist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're making it like generalizing everything, treating people as a monolith, all of that good stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So there's like the sandwich video. We Uh have to talk about the sandwich video. (laughs) Okay, I'm ready. Happy Valentine's Day. Let's talk about forgetting that the people you love exist. If you have ADHD, you probably know that your ability Um, to remember stuff is based on focus. If you come home and actively choose to put your keys somewhere, you're probably going to remember where that somewhere was. But if you come home and mindlessly put your keys down somewhere because you're thinking about 10 other things, those keys may cease to exist in this realm of reality. One of the hardest things for people with ADHD and their partners to navigate is that this out of sight, out of mind, also includes people because our brains don't really delineate a difference between the love of our lives and a sandwich. This can cause a lot of inadvertent hurt because if we're just going through our day, we might not be spending a lot of time focusing on the fact that our partner exists. So it can be really easy to forget to send a text, forget to call, to forget an old friend's birthday. Weeks without calling your mom can be really hard and really embarrassing and make you feel really guilty. But if that's a thing that happens to you, you are definitely not alone. Oh, God, I love how this is not helpful information for anyone. All it did is if that happens to you, if you're shitty to people, you're not alone. I'm shitty, too. Like, it's just like, I don't I honestly like the whole sometimes we can't tell the difference between people we love and a sandwich. Like, bitch, I don't know the last time I tried to 69 a sandwich. Like, (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Objectifying people and then saying that that's like actually like totally fine yeah like it's how i totally get the thing with the keys but when i'm not like my partner just doesn't exist in my line of sight they don't exist like what (laughs) and also like you have expectations for how to maintain relationships and you you just try to pretend like those expectations are problematic if they don't Mm -hmm. align with your exact way like People have needs and they could be like, hey, can you call me once a week? Like, I think that's a fair ask. And if you're just like, I'm just going to go ahead and not call you for years because you don't exist. (laughs) Like, well, I do that. Like, I don't call people or text people for a long ass time, but I don't think it's weird to like start talking to someone again randomly after years. I just kind of pick back up wherever we left off. And I think it's weird that people expect Oh, that too. Yeah. Yeah. From you. Like, yeah. Without explicitly communicating it. Right. Like, so for example, Mm -hmm. like I have a expectation now that like my partner is living in another continent that, okay, we will touch base like once a day, whenever we're able to do that. Right. Like that is an agreement that like, you know, they, I communicated a need, they communicated a need. We're like, cool. This meets both our needs. Perfect. But then I have like, you're talking about friends that I'm not texting every single day or like, I just don't do that. But I also have communicated to them that that is not 
like me not caring about them or not thinking mm-hmm. about them because I will spontaneously randomly send them a stupid meme in the middle of the day. Right. Yeah. And that is my way of being like, Hey, like I thought about you. And when I'm with them, I'm very present, like physically spending time with them. I'm there. I'm not thinking about anything else. And we have talked about that. And if they have different expectations, they've let me know. They're like, Hey, like if you're ever in town, can you let me know? So, so we can hang out. And I'm like, I can do that. Like I can 100% do that. And we will hang Mm -hmm. out. Right. Like, so you just have to communicate expectations and relationships and Mm -hmm. you might be able to meet someone's needs or not. And that's complex. And that can never be reduced to like, I'm sorry, I just can't meet anyone's needs because my brain's broken. Yeah. And there's also, I don't know if she said it in this video, but like the term object permanence gets thrown around a lot where people will say like, like she was saying about the keys, like when you don't see them, they just don't exist. And like, this is literally a concept about infants. Like Mm -hmm. it's so infantilizing and like does not apply to adult humans. And then to like take that and apply it to other people and say like when these people, when I don't see these people, they don't, it's like, I still, my partner is out of town, but I still know that they exist. (laughs) And like, we don't, we might not be like messaging each other or whatever, but I'm not like a baby where like they somebody put their hands in front of their face and then <laughs> think that they like disappeared. It's just like it's so infantilizing and it like also really it's a slippery me. slope, right? Like it's like what are your norms and expectations and relationships then? Like have you talked about them? Because yeah, at some point, if you just think it's okay to pretend like people don't exist if they're not in front of you, what kind of behavior are you okay with? Like. All of that, it just becomes a slippery slope when you relegate like all of these relational dynamics to mm-hmm. diagnoses and stuff, right? Like it's it becomes hazy then. How like, can someone feel comfortable talking to you about how you're not meeting a need? Or mm-hmm. like, can someone feel comfortable bringing up to you that, hey, what you did actually really hurt me? And yeah. can we figure out a way to navigate this because it's continuing to hurt me? Like, oh, but what if you just shut that whole conversation down with being like, that was just my ADHD. Go fuck yourself. Right. Like, yeah. what does that mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> and how are you going to be in equitable reciprocal dynamics if it's mm-hmm. not actually reciprocal? Right. Like mm-hmm. if it's not two way street where like people are communicating needs and people are communicating feedback and taking feedback and like mutually trying to figure things out as opposed to you just being like, this is who I am. I'm a stagnant being. My expectations will like never change. My needs will never change. And my ability to meet your needs will never change. And that's mm-hmm. it. Like just fit or leave, right? Like just yeah. how, how can we do that either way, right? Like nothing is an extreme. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there are like instances where people are just incompatible and like that's and okay. That's fine. It's okay. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> like if you, if you need a lot of attention and you're with someone who can't give you a lot of attention then like maybe you just shouldn't be with that person or your relationship should be less like close I don't know like I mean it's it's like I think that that brings up like an important point in terms of like if you just look at it through the lens of like systemic oppression and trauma right Mm -hmm. like it makes a lot of sense because there are relationships that are constantly like there's tons of conflict and there's always turmoil and anxiety and just like it's inequitable, essentially, right? And those aren't meant to be. (laughs) There's a lot of work that needs to be done there, right? And abuse is, in fact, abuse. And Mm -hmm. there can be a lot of mutual toxicity between people, right, that haven't necessarily arrived at understanding their, like, how they've been socialized, how they've, what's home for them, right? What kind of dynamics are they attracted to? Or are they, like, repulsed from, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
that makes sense, but there's no need then to relegate that. Even you can see how it's it doesn't work either way, right? Like if you are with someone that's actually quite compatible and you could have a reciprocal equitable dynamic, but then you start relegating shit to these diagnoses. And then you are in a dynamic that's like abusive and inequitable. And then mm-hmm. you can see how that can be really harmful and actually can be used to exacerbate abuse, right? Being like, I'm sorry, like I don't actually have any empathy. So I don't give a shit about what you're feeling because that's mm-hmm. just how my brain works and mm-hmm. I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just like, <laughs> you can see how either extreme, all of this stuff doesn't help if you're not actually evaluating through the lens of like, is this an equitable dynamic? Are two people able to show up and be authentically themselves? If not, then it doesn't have to be there, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, we don't like everybody. Not everybody's going to like you. That's just life. Like, that's just like complexity, right? Like, mm-hmm. if there's a million variations, like, not everybody's going to be the same person. That's the point. Yeah. And I think, like, I think a lot of it is also insecurity. Like, I know for me, my partner is constantly distracted by stuff when I'm trying to talk to them. And, like, in the beginning of our relationship, like, I took it really personally and got, like, mm-hmm. really upset when they weren't paying attention. And we had a lot of conversations about it where they explained, like, this is, like, not has Same. nothing to do yeah. with, like, Same. how I feel about you. I'm just, Same. like, you know doing something else or I'm thinking about this other thing and I just need a minute for like your words to like enter my brain Same. and like process Settle. and yeah. so now like I'll be talking to them and I can like see that they're I can see them not drift. paying attention and I yeah. see my words like filtering and I just like wait Same. and then like a minute later they like turn to me and respond <laughs> Same. Yeah. so yep. like I don't feel I don't get upset anymore because I understand that because we talked about it and like and conflict you know? was regenerative. Like, I think so. So, so me and Sarah have had the exact same thing that you just described, <laughs> where in real time, I'm just like watching screws turn. And, <laughs> and I get it because usually there's been sometimes not even in the same minute, like it's like it takes a day <laughs> for them to mm-hmm. like really come back with something hugely insightful, where they're like, hey, have you ever considered like doing it this way? Like, and I'm just like, no. (laughs) And, and it was about something that we talked about yesterday morning that like, now we have a protocol where it'll be like, I understand what you're saying. I don't actually have a response for this right now. And Mm -hmm. it's because it's going to take me a minute to process it. And I will like touch base with you tomorrow about this. Right. Mm -hmm. Like something like that. Or I can literally tell, like, basically (laughs) eyes will just drift into the ether and I know they're gone. Like I can Mm -hmm. tell they're gone and I will just like slow down or stop talking and just like wait till they (laughs) turn. Till they come back. Yeah. And then they'll like resume. And sometimes that takes minutes. Sometimes that takes like I don't know. It takes a long time. Like Mm -hmm. that took a lot of conflict to even get to that point. Cause yeah, like you said, it started off with me early on being like, yo, Mm -hmm. (laughs) are you here? (laughs) And then they were like, actually, no, (laughs) I was gone for like 30 seconds. It has nothing to do with you. And then I was like, oh, okay. Is there a way that you can like, you know, I can maybe pick up on cues that are like, that are where I know you're not like able to retain like your span of attention right now, or like, is there a way you can communicate to me? And that's how we came up with that protocol where it's like, if you're not even able to give me a response in like 30 minutes where it's just like, you need time to process and understand what the fuck is going on. Cause you're overwhelmed. Then mm-hmm. just tell me and we will touch base later in a day or two or whenever, right? Like yeah. I don't need you to be a production of ideas like mm-hmm. for me now. 
right? But sometimes mm-hmm. they'll, I, I know now, like when the eyes drift, I know what's happened. And then I'm just like, I know what's happening. It's my job. Now it's shitty if in those moments, I've realized sometimes when I'm having a long day and I'm impatient, I will still jump the gun. And I'll be like, yo, like, are you, have you been listening to me? And they have to push back on me and be like, remember that thing that we talked about where this is just how I process and I'm very different than you. You talk at a rate of like 2000 words a minute and I don't. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I'm like, oh, I did the thing. I did the thing again because I'm tired because I just came back from work and capitalism took a piece of me. So I'm forgetting that like not everyone processes time the same way. So it's like, It's just a constant, just like push and pull in a weird way where you just have to communicate and conflict is important. Like how else are you possibly going to learn like what's working, what's not working and how can you move through challenges like together? Yeah, I I, I have this thing now where like, because I need a lot of time. If we talk about anything emotional, like it's hard for me to do that in real time like I need to go away and like think about it for a yep. day and that's then, what like, my partner does it's emotional stuff that, that they yeah. need a day for I just like yeah. yeah so like I have anytime I get like angry about something I just like leave the room mm-hmm. <laughs> and like they know like oh, okay because otherwise I'll say shit that like I don't mean yep my partner will literally turn to the wall and just stare <laughs> at the stare at the wall and just not face me and I know now that's a way for them to like regulate because I'm I'm the opposite. I'm too animated when I'm mm-hmm. like feeling a lot. And for me, feelings are must process immediately. And for mm-hmm. my partner, it's a total opposite, which is like this, this will like kill them <laughs> if they process yeah. immediately. So they need like a long time. And that's like kind of a beautiful thing that we've now had to come up with like protocols for like when we actually have conflict, right? What if you can't resolve it right away? And there's mm-hmm. someone who needs it resolved right away. But what if it's not resolution that I need? I just need a little assurance Yeah, <laughs> that you still love me and you still care about me mm-hmm. and we're still okay. We do not agree on this one point, yeah. but we will return to it later. And right now we will just go make some dope food, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's like cool because it's gotten us to come up with ways of being that I would have never like, mm-hmm. cause resolution to you has made it seem like either you're right or wrong, but that's never the case. And then you kind of realize, yeah. wait, we're just going through conflict and I'm not fighting you. Like we're on the same team. We disagree on this one point, which mm-hmm. does not mean that I can't love you still and be nice to you while we're yeah. having this conflict, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is crazy. Like, oh, it's like, wow. Like you just don't have to fight in the way that's had our normative like fighting looks like, you know, quote mm-hmm. unquote, which like now we don't use the word fight or argument because it just seems like it's not what it feels like. So, because we really have come up with ways of being like, this is like hitting my capacity. Like, I feel like I'm melting into the ground right now. <laughs> like, can we please <laughs> just like, ooh, like mm-hmm. pause. And we will even intentionally do like reconnection. So like stuff that we will be like, can we do stuff to remind each other how much we love each other for a minute? <laughs> yeah. So we can even move through this conflict because it's taking us away from that. Right. So it's like mm-hmm. this weird people are like, wait, you're like doing like loving things to each other in the middle of the fight. Like, sure. Yeah. Isn't that the mm-hmm. point? Like, aren't you? So it's, it just forces you to like, if you're not relegating yourself to diagno- diagnostic criteria or whatever, you just have to work there. You have to talk, you have to spell it out. You have to be yeah. very explicit about what your needs are. Yeah, I think that's like the hardest thing for people and they don't want to do that. So a lot of times it's easier just to like oversimplify everything. But the thing is, it's not working, right? Like I did that in my previous relationship. The first relationship that I had, that was like, not toxic in so many ways and abusive and 
I did all of the stuff that we just talked about, where we're just like trying really hard to fit these norms, making assumptions about how like we think going into like conflict with that assumptions and everything is just like me versus you versus like, you know what I mean? And it doesn't work, even though I for sure thought that that was easier, you know, Mm -hmm. just being like, I must be better than you because I'm right. Like thinking Mm -hmm. in that way and just not really spelling out that actually I just feel like really unloved right now and I would love some attention. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like spelling it out. Like, and I just thought it was easier to just be like, I'm right. You're wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's not because it did impact me and it like tore at me. I wasn't in an equitable dynamic. I was hurting this person too. And at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, just none of it worked. Right. Like, so it's like, even the times that we tell ourselves things are working out, I feel like that's the epitome when you think about capitalism, right? Like we've told ourselves our whole lives, it's okay. This is okay. Right. Like, it's fine. Like how I'm being treated is okay. Like I should earn the right to live. Like I need to get a degree. I need to get a job. Like it's okay. And then you just fucking realize, no, like none of this is actually okay. It's the same thing, right? Like whatever you've told yourself, you have to do, must do, should do. There's all of that comes from norms that we've been taught until we just intentionally start interrogating them. And relationships are no different. They're literally the embodiment of all of these oppressive dynamics boiling down into a space where people are desperate for connection and trying to create that. (laughs) Yeah. And the family, you know, the nuclear family, the straight couple is very important (laughs) for capitalism. So Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense why these kinds of like articles come out in popular discourse that try to fix these problems in it's a way to get you to fall back in line (laughs) yeah without actually like helping you dig into any deeper causes yeah and that's like what so much of couples therapy is i feel like where you're just told like hey you just improve your communication you know like get them treated for these disorders get them treated for that disorder and like everything will be fine right do not think about like you're both individual family dynamics do not think Mm -hmm. about how you've been raised do not think about how you've been punished and like enforced with all these carceral values Mm -hmm. right like or don't think about how you've been socialized with conflating people's worth to a dollar sign so now you think you own a person right (laughs) Or yeah. like possess a human being. It's just like, don't think about, mm-hmm. think about any of that because God forbid you have to actually think of how systems of oppression have like socialized all of us, right? So we're all mm-hmm. an embodiment of them while still trying in different ways to resist them. Yeah. Yeah. Don't think about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I feel like that's kind of beautiful too. It's like when we say the struggle itself is liberating, that's what it means in relationships. You have to work through this stuff because it's so dope to actually experience like authentic reciprocity. It's like, Mm -hmm. whoa, it's like wild to see like the level of growth you can have in a relationship, right? When you don't rely on all this stuff, it's just like, I've actually become a person that doesn't keep like scorecards. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Like I don't keep track of anything. I'm not here being like, I gave this, therefore you shall give that next time. Like I gave some ground in this argument next time you will yield. Like you just don't because you realize, oh my God, that is transactionality under capitalism. We've just acted in that way for so long. We don't have to. (laughs) And then you just practice and practice and practice. And one day you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I'm not doing the thing. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you have questions or something to share, head over to the comment section underneath this episode on disorderland.substack.com. And don't forget to subscribe while you're at it. 
If you feel especially excited about the show, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify is super helpful and much appreciated. For anything else, you can reach us at disorderland at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.